Aguirre. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Um, Nate, I lost my little green arrow. So if you want to... There is a bulletin insert if you're a note-taking kind of person. Um, if you want to use that, feel free to, uh, to do that. Um, we're going to... A couple of things, I guess. Jason preached last week, and I'm doing it this week. And then Jordan, right, is the following week. And then John Sapp, who will be our interim, will be the next week, and he's going to clean up all three of our messes. So that his first sermon on Mother's Day is going to be, uh, is going to be a clean up the messes day. So um, I would like to invite you to turn to John, I mean to Jeremiah chapter 3, and put your, your like finger in your Bible there, Jeremiah chapter 3, not Jeremiah, Lamentations chapter 3. Put your finger there. If you've got a phone, I don't know how you put your finger on there on your phone. Maybe we should create, like a, you stick your finger in the side or something, but just hang on to that because we are going to come to it. Thank you. Yeah, Nate's one of those behind-the-scene guys. You don't see much, but everything around here runs because of him, so thanks always to him. Um, I want to talk about biblical lament. Um, it's been a year of loss for a good number of people close to me. Um, I still remember vividly last July, there was a day in the morning I found out one of my ministry colleagues was in a, an automobile accident that proved to be fatal. And then that afternoon, found out that one of my dear friends had been diagnosed with a brain tumor all in the same day. And that wasn't about me, it was really about them and their families. But I just know a, a good number of people that it's been a hard year. And you know, James 1-2 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble comes, when it comes, right? Because it's coming. So when loss comes, and they will, when pain, when you feel uh, like it strangles you, when you feel like darkness is closing in and your closest friend. The question is, what do we do in the middle of that? More specifically, what's the appropriate way to deal with the losses of our lives? And um, when I find myself in the midst of that inevitable difficulty or suffering, how can I best handle it? And I think God has an answer to that, and it is, it's biblical lament. So I want to spend some time looking at this. I actually preached on this 13 years ago, but since that time have walked through uh, a, a, a lament period of my own, and when you do that, you gain a little more wisdom, right? You learn some things about yourself through that. And so I'm going to sprinkle in a few things I learned that I did not do well in that time. Um, but if you would, um, look at the screen with me. The best place to find laments is in the church's songbook, which is the book of Psalms. And Psalm 13 is a short lament, and I think a good example. So um, can we read that together? Can we all stand and read as a congregation? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer 
O Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. And this is the word of the Lord and you may be seated. And that's the only inspired thing that's going to be said this morning, so um, that's the one thing you can lean into with total confidence. I want to make a few observations about lament before we jump in. First, as you can see from Psalm 13, it is an honest expression of confusion and pain in the face of loss. If it, it is a cry of complaint to God, frequently filled with doubts, fears, accusations against Him, sometimes against others or sometimes both. Second, as you go through the Psalms and go through the laments, you will find that they are packed with emotion. And you'll find, I mean, every human emotion in them. You'll find anger, sorrow, grief, fear, confusion, anguish, frustration, despair, contrition. I mean, there's so many emotions that you'll find, which is why they're great companions, actually. Third observation that's interesting, uh, Tina even said it in our little prayer time ahead of time, um, would you be surprised to know that four out of ten of the Psalms are laments? That's a lot, isn't it? Forty percent are laments. And I think there's a good reason for that. And I think hopefully by the end we'll kind of see why God has put so many of them in there. One final observation. If you look closely at a biblical lament, you'll see it's one prayer um, with two parts. And both parts kind of loom like large mountains. The first is the cry. It's that declaration of pain. It's the expression of a, of a present reality in my life, a presenting problem that I'm facing. But a biblical lament never stops there. Um, there's always, the cry is always followed by confidence. The declaration of pain is always followed by a declaration of hope. Um, there is the confession of a greater reality. There's a like concluding vote of confidence in God and in his character. Um, uh, the book, I forgot the name of the book. It's on, actually, if you look on the back, I was reading a book recently. By the way, if, you're, if part of your suffering is physical pain, this book is written specifically for people that a physical ailment, a continual thing is what's going on. I highly recommend it. They kind of make this quadrant in their book that's really cool is that all of us fall into one of these categories. We're, we're either low on the complaint or we're high on complaint. We're low on hope and high on hope. Um, some of us are these detached Stoics, right? Who feel no pain and have no hope, kind of like Spock. If you're a next generation guy, Commander Data, right? Um, I had pictures on these other two, but I talked with my family last night and we all agreed they probably were unkind. Um, so I left them off. If you want to know what they are, come talk to me. Um, there are people <laughs> who are up in this category who are high on complaint but low on hope, and that's unrelenting despair. People down here in, who are high on hope but don't, don't really know how to give voice to their pain, which are the naive optimists. Uh, an example of that, I had a student a few years back who had a computer stolen at the library, and a Christian was talking to them, and the thing the Christian said to them was, um, well, you know, God knew there was somebody who needed it more than you did. Uh, that's a statement that fits down there. I don't think God 
to design somebody to steal somebody's. That was a refusal to say that was wrong and you should suffer for it, okay? Does that make sense? Um, so sometimes we say things that are down here. And then the final one, high in hope, high in complaint, is what is um, biblical meant. It is faithful suffering. It is defiant hope is what we could, what we could call that. I'm just curious, uh, which of these do you tend to fall into? Nobody needs to answer, but which of these is generally your response to the pain in your life? Hey, and one other thing, if you don't mind. When we know somebody that goes through pain and is going through grief and loss, as Christians, which of these responses do we usually give people right away? Which quadrant do we tend to feel like we have to fall into to people that are experiencing suffering? What do we tend, which one do we tend to go to? At least in my opinion. Any thoughts? People are afraid to say because I'm going to say, no, it's... So let me just... <laughs> I think we give a lot of cliche, things that are even true, because we're going to talk about it. But I think the first thing we do is just throw out those optimism things, and people need sometimes for you to just come and sit on their porch for a month, once a week with coffee, and just be silent and allow them to cry and then start speaking the hope into their lives. That makes sense? So just a little aside, something I've been learning the last couple of years. I find this two-part structure of lament, um, both this cry and the confidence, to be very profound, and I think it's very relevant, um, because I think these two parts show me how do I need to approach my losses in a healthy way. And so I want to spend the rest of my time delving into these. So first is the cry. Uh, verses 1 to 4. And you know what that teaches me? It teaches me to not ignore the reality of the losses in my life. To not pretend that this thing is not real. Um, to, to not deny its existence, but to face it head on and enter fully into the pain that comes from whatever this is. It's to cry out. But even more importantly, to cry out to God. Not just cry out, but cry out to God. To give voice to it, but to give voice to Him. Um, and I think this is so crucial. And I think part of it is, is because um, a lot of us, we're not good at pain and grief and confusion and doubt, right? I think we, we're not good at it at all. Some of us down here, I think we sugarcoat it and we just want to put a positive spin on this. Uh, that's not the majority. I think a lot of us have a tendency, we want to ignore it, suffer silently, deny the reality, take those emotions and like stuff them down into the recesses of our soul, right? As far as they can go, kind of ignore them. You know, I think there's a lot of reasons we do this, but a lot of it I think is we just hate to admit that we don't have it all together, that we need help, that we're weak and we're human, um, and that's what our culture teaches us to do, right? You just kind of hide those things, stuff them away. Others of us, I think, handle loss in the opposite way. We give full voice to our complaint, but to everybody and their dog, except God, right? We know those people. Every time you meet them, they're complaining about something, but it's always complaint to humans and not taking it to God. So I think it's uh, really important. The truth of the matter is, is God is not interested in any of those options besides the one on the upper right. Um, he's not interested in being a bystander standard in my life, that, that I hide my emotions from him. He's not interested in me denying the harsh realities by putting a happy face on those things. 
God longs for us to bring every dimension of our lives to him, including our pain and our hurts and our doubts and our disappointments, right? Nothing is off limits with him. As one author says, what appears to us to be audacity to complain to him about this, to God is authenticity. Authenticity. And it's his desire, I think, that we get past all the holy talk, get real with him, and give full expression of our pain to him. Raw and uncensored, no holds barred. So go ahead, let her rip. And guess what? Not only does he want it, he can handle it. He can handle it. And do you know why I know this is so? Because these laments tell me that. Go to Lamentations 3, if you would, where you've been keeping your thumb. I want to show you one expression of a, an unfiltered emotion found in a lament. Man, this is like... So in chapter 3, verse 1, this is Jeremiah, a prophet of God. Listen to what he says. I'm the man who's seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has driven me away, and he's made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He's weighed me down with chains. Even when I cry out for help, he shuts out my prayer. He's barred my way with blocks of stone. He's made my path crooked. He is like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding. He dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without hope. He drew his bow and he made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. And I became the laughing stock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He's filled me with bitter herbs, herbs and sated me with gall. He's broken my teeth with gravel and has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace and I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. Now leave your finger there, okay? Leave your finger there. But I just want to ask Jeremiah one question. Jeremiah, could you tell us how you really feel? <laughs> wow, right? To God, can you imagine? And I, I believe that these laments tell us an important thing, that we need to bring that internal garbage, whatever we're feeling, we need to bring it in to him. You know why? Because I think that God knows for healing to occur, our emotions need raw, unfiltered expression before him. Thankfully, biblical laments never end simply with the cry and that pain. Um, but there's always a turn that happens. There's an intentional turning of the heart and the eyes towards God in confidence. And that's verses 5 and 6. This turn is frequently marked by words like, but, yet, nevertheless. In our text, it's but. Circle that on that, your text. Circle the word but. That's a really important word. But. You know, biblical, that's why, by the way, Walter Brueggemann, that great Old Testament scholar, calls the second part of lament uh, the great nevertheless. Isn't that good? The great nevertheless. 
Biblical laments always end on a high note. Always conclude with what the psalmist knows to be true about God. They always finish in trust. You'll frequently find the word trust in the second part. It's here in verse 5, circle trust. But I trust. And this is so important because the truth is, is that this pain, the loss in your life, is not the final answer and it will not have the final word. And we need to hear that, right? A lament is incomplete without this second part, this expression of confidence. And here's what this second part of biblical lament teaches me. It teaches me to not forget about God, the greater reality in my life. It reminds me to trust and to hope. It draws my eyes to focus my attention on a much larger reality in my life. Though perhaps unseen, it is a reality above and beyond my present reality. And that reality is God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, the lover and the shepherd of my soul, my good and loving father. So the second part, what it does, it calls me to put into practice what Paul says in Colossians 3, to set my mind and my heart on things above, not set my mind and heart, be here, but to set my mind and heart on things above. So let me show you how Jeremiah finishes. Go back to chapter 3 of Lamentations, verse 21. After all that stuff he said, you know, you mangled me and you shot arrows at me. Verse 21, he says, yet, here's the turn, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. Isn't that awesome? You start with the cry, but you've got to end and move to the confidence. And that second part, it's as crucial as the first, actually, if not more. And do you know why? Here's why I think. It is easy I think to allow ourselves to be, when this hits us, to become consumed with it. I mean, you know this, right? It is so easy to get consumed with the smaller reality because it's so present. And, and we allow the loss and the pain to begin to dominate us, and then we lose sight of the greater reality. And I don't think we do it intentionally. I, don't, I think most of us don't. It's more of in a passive way. That what we do is this becomes so consuming that we just never lift our eyes. We never lift our eyes to a higher reality. And we lose sight of this greater reality. And no condemnation here. Been there, done that. Okay, I know what it's like to be consumed with this and forget to raise my eyes. Okay, I understand. Can I illustrate it for you? Since my childhood, I've been to Colorado dozens and dozens of times, having grown up in western Colorado. I mean, in western Kansas. My children are like, what? You grew up in western Colorado? I thought you grew up in Hayes. Um, and as you know, we take students to Bear Trap twice a year, especially that Colorado Springs area is where we'd go. And one of my favorite parts of that trip, when you're driving through eastern Colorado, you're going along, and I, it's not cresting a hill. You come to a place, I don't know, you're about 30 minutes out of Lyman, and all of a sudden the land drops down below you, and there in the distance, not huge, but it's pretty obvious, is Pikes Peak, Right? 
looming large on the horizon. It is the only thing that you see. No other mountains, just Pikes Peak standing there. Um, that lone mountain commanding the train. And I mean, you drive for miles and miles and miles, and that's all you see. That's all you see. I just love that view. It towers over everything. It dominates the front range. It is unquestionably the largest reality, isn't it? How many of you have done that drive? You know what I'm talking about. Pretty cool. And, but here's, some, here's what happens, though. As you get to Colorado Springs and you start driving through the city, and as you start getting close to the foothills, something happens. And if you're not careful, you won't even notice it. As you get close to the foothills, suddenly Pikes Peak disappears from your view. Disappears from your view. In fact, here, I brought a little illustration. Here I am in my four-wheel drive going to Colorado. Got my little Royals gear on and my Royals hat. I was going to say Broncos, but I didn't want to offend anybody, you know. I'm in a non-offensive day today anyway. So, you know, you're driving, and you can see that. But as you get closer, suddenly, your line of sight, this, this, in your line of sight, you can't see this anymore. It disappears, right? So that means Pike, has Pikes Peak disappeared? Is it gone? No, it's still there, right? It's still the dominant reality. It is the biggest peak in the area. There, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. You just can't see it anymore. You've just lost sight. And I think this is what happens in our lives. This is what happens in our lives. If we're not careful, we're just chugging, chugging along through life. Things are going great. Suddenly, we get smacked with something totally unexpected that comes into our face. And it's so, it's so hard and so close to us that it dominates our view, and suddenly we lose sight of the greater reality. I mean, we've all been there. And what's, what's crucial is, is we lose sight of him. Is he gone? Is God still there? Is God still the dominant reality? Of course he is. For those of you that are here up against this mountain this morning, I want to remind you, he is real and he's present, and he is the larger reality. From ever to la- everlasting to everlasting, he is God. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He is all-present. He's unchanging, holy and just, and he always does what is right. He is good, and he's gracious, and he's compassionate, and he's abounding in love and faithfulness, and he cares. And though it doesn't always seem like it, he is in control, and he causes all things to work for good to those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. But even more importantly, I want you to understand, he understands what it's like to be over here. He understands what it's like to be facing this and have that line of sight go away because he is the one who took on human flesh, who entered into our world of pain and suffering, who endured the very difficulties that we endure but even more because he took the full brunt of evil and pain and suffering on the cross, and yet he overcame it in the resurrection and ascended on high, and he sits above as our sympathetic high priest, and he calls, he, he longs for us to call out to him so he can give us his sustaining grace in our time of need. He's been there and done that. Jesus, on the cross, cries out a lament in Psalm 22. My God, my God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? So when you lament, finish well. Don't shortchange this, okay? Several years ago, I had my own stumble in this area. Something I didn't do well in my season of lament. Um, 
I'm telling you, I was reading through the Psalms every day, and the cry, the cries and the laments were so perfectly expressing the words I was feeling. Have you ever had that feeling? You're reading them, and you're like, oh my goodness. It's like David watching me. They so perfectly expressed my emotions and my inner pain that I was cutting and pasting those things out of my, the Bible, and I was putting them in a note app. I was collecting all those things because they so well expressed how I was feeling. But I wasn't cutting and pasting the words of hope, just the words of the cry, uh, which isn't good and wasn't good. That changed on the 4th of July. Went to Dylan's that morning to get some stuff for the cookout we were going to have. And on the way, I have Bot Radio Network that comes up on my radio. And David Jeremiah was preaching on a psalm of lament, perfectly timed and planned by God for me. And he said that if you cry out with if you cry out without the worship, what you're going to do is you're simply going to dig a deeper and deeper emotional hole, and you're just going to keep reworking the problem over and over and over again. So he said, please don't stop there. You've got to move on to that next part. And that day, I began to intentionally spend the bulk of my time on this part of the lament, and I started cutting and pasting these instead of these. So don't get so lost in this that you forget that. Remember, the laments always end pointing beyond the pain and direct me to him. So, by all means, give voice to your pain, but move on to that greater reality. End in worship. Every time, every time, acknowledge the greater reality. Keep that bigger reality in your mind. Lift up your eyes to him. Trust in him. Hope he is present. You know, as the, the poem Footprints teaches us, Though it may be imperceptible, he is there, right, carrying us along. Someone might ask, you know, hey, what if I don't feel like it? As if I felt like it <laughs> at that time, you know, lifting my eyes. What if I can't find it within myself to place my trust in God? And I admit it's not always easy in the midst of pain to put my confidence in God, but it's essential and it's possible. Um, many times I think placing your confidence in the God in the midst of pain is an exercise of self-leadership. There's an example in Psalm 42 where David says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed? Put your hope in God. See that self-talk, that leadership talk he's giving? I love how David led himself towards the greater reality. One thing I personally found really helpful in my lament to get me to make that shift was uh, praise and worship. You know, let others sing hope into you when you don't feel it. Um, what praise and worship will do is it will, lift, it will lift God before your eyes. It will lift him up and help you to see beyond that presenting problem. In the midst of my lament, I heard for the first time on the radio the song, Sometimes It Takes a Mountain. I needed that so bad. I also first heard Bethel Music's No Longer Slaves on the radio during that time. Needed that one, too. I put those songs on a small flash drive, plugged them in my truck, and I listened to them regularly. And God used those songs powerfully in my life to reorient my eyes and my focus upon him and off my troubles. Your songs won't be my songs, but I trust that he'll give you a song or two in your time of trouble. So, I began to asking the question today, what is the appropriate way to deal with the losses of our lives? 1 Peter 4.19 tells us, suffer in a manner that pleases God. 
Lament is how we suffer well. We don't suffer well if we're in that upper left or that lower left or that lower right. We don't suffer well there. We suffer well, become a signpost to God for His glory when we're up there with the biblical lament. So that smaller mountain, don't ignore it. Take it to God. But that larger one, don't forget it. Trust in God. So as I face the inevitable losses of my life, I need to make lament an important part of my journey in the midst of pain, this ongoing movement from cry to confidence, cry to confidence every day, cry to confidence. I think it's essential in me moving on the path towards the healing that I so desperately need and that I and we all desperately desire. Now, two kinds of people here this morning. Uh, there are those of you who are, uh, you're on the road back here. You're cruising, got the, got the top down on your convertible. Man, that greater reality is out there. Life's good. Heading to the mountains, right? Everything's going great. God is the dominant reality on the horizon. I want to say one thing to those of you that I learned was really important in my time of lament. I want you to trust me on this. If it's not already your habit, be in the Psalms regularly every day, starting today. Every day. Make them a part of your daily spiritual diet. I am thankful, personally, when I hit my lament season, I was in a Bible reading plan, and I'm still doing the same one, that takes me through the Psalms three and a half times each year. And here's why it's so crucial. The Navy SEALs say, you don't rise to the challenge, you fall to your level of training. Somebody else has said, you will not rise to your level of expectation, but only to the level of your preparation. You know, in times of crisis, training is what takes over. Do you know that? Training is what takes over. Ask anybody in law enforcement. If you haven't done your heavy lifting now when things are good, by daily imbibing in the Psalms, if you don't do the heavy lifting now, do you think when you get here, you're suddenly going to be able to do the heavy lifting up to here, getting your eyes up to here? You won't. You won't. So I, I just encourage you, get in the Psalms every day. You're not going to feel some of them. But, you know, when you get to those hope parts, man, the, there's, some of them are just awesome. Even when things are good, you're like, this is awesome. Circle those things. Underline them in your Bible so that when that comes, you can go back to those things you've highlighted. And so I encourage you, let the words and the phrases of the Psalms start to become a part of your own prayers. It is obvious that Jonah did this. Because when he found himself in a deep hole, so to speak, his prayer, his cry was full of language from the Psalms. Isn't that awesome? Because he had done that heavy lifting before, and that's what he prayed. People rub salt in the meat to preserve it for future use. The daily reading of the Psalms will have the same effect in your life. If you daily rub those Psalms into your life, it will have a preserving effect on your heart and soul when the day of crisis comes. And then there are those here who aren't doing so well. Um, you find yourself facing a mountain. You're, you're smack up against it. You're suffering, facing some kind of loss, maybe multiple forms of loss. Could be the loss of health, the loss of, of a job, loss of a relationship, wayward child. Some of us, maybe we've lo we feel like we've lost our way or lost our dreams, or we felt like there was an opportunity that we lost, maybe lost our confidence, have lost our certainty in Him. Um, 
There may be somebody here today who's lost their integrity or their reputation or their innocence. Some maybe have lost their faith. Maybe somebody's in here that feels like, I'm losing my soul. Um, Maybe we've lost any sense of God in our lives. And whatever the loss, it's real, and it's in, it's in your face, right? And some of you who came that way, you came in the parking lot bearing a burden, and some of you left it outside the door. Because for whatever reason, no, no condemnation, you came believing that negative emotions don't belong in here, right? right? Negative emotions don't belong in this place. And I want to tell you, hogwash, right? Hogwash. The truth of the matter is there is no better place to bring your negative emotions than, than here. And some of you came in this morning, man, you brought those things in full force. Um, and, and you're just sitting and right today you are in here and you just are deeply, deeply struggling. And again, I'm glad you brought them in here. There's no better place. So to all of you, I want to invite you this morning to give voice to your pain, to take it to him. And then turn, focus upon the greater reality, and place your trust in him. I think when we're suffering and when we're in the middle of loss, I think sometimes we need reminders of the greater reality. So this morning, um, the worship team is going to help do that. We're going to try, not me, I say we because, you know, I wish I were in the team. but We want to sing some hope into you guys. Not only hope, something else. Tim and Christy are going to help us sing another important truth into your life. Romans 8, 28, I already quoted it, says that God causes all things to work for good, right? And a lot of times we equate that with he's, good is get rid of it. He not only wants to work for your good long term, but he can work for your good in this and through it. Okay, We don't want it, but he can work for our good through it. I'm not saying that God caused your problem. It usually comes from other sources. But here's what I know. The part of the good that God wants to work in our lives comes inside the suffering. Right? Nothing purifies, nothing refines like suffering. As the song says, which you'll hear in a minute, sometimes it takes a mountain. Sometimes it takes the sea, sometimes it takes a desert to get a hold of me. And that's so true. Sometimes it takes a mountain. You know, it took a while for me, a couple of years ago, longer than it should have. There was a point in my own lament that I finally surrendered my pain to him. I began to ask him to have his refining work in my life in it. And I humbly bowed and I said, through this loss and pain, what work do you want in my life? That turn was a very freeing day for me and very significant. Once I did that, God began to open my eyes to a couple of things that he was wanting to refine in my life. And through that, he did. So, This mountain, this thing here, can be a powerful crucible for God's transforming work in our lives. So my invitation is, let him have his work through that. Don't don't fight him. So as the worship team comes, and the deacons, if they would come forward, and the other leaders that are here.
Um, I'd like to do something. Um, I want to ask you guys, some of you, to take a risk today. Uh, for some of you this morning, it would do a world of good to give a physical expression to your personal limit. Your loss and your pain might begin to move in a new trajectory if on this day you were able to make a physical demonstration of your ultimate trust in Him. So what, we've got up here some pens and post-it notes, and I'm going to move this larger mountain down on this table. And here's what I'm going to invite some of you to do. I know it's really scary probably, but if you've got a, limit, a loss in your life you're struggling with, I want to invite you to come up. One word, just with one word, write it on the, the post-it note. Stick it on that mountain as a vote of confidence in God. Um, if you've got more than one thing going on in your life, because a lot of times those laments pile up, right? You know, do a sticky note for each one. Stick it on there. And really in your spirit, like lay it at his feet. Offer it to his sovereign power. And, and trusting in his good intent. And if, if you're needing it, we have, some, we have some people that are willing to pray, some guys, the Stroms and the Waters. Oh, and we've got others, man. Okay, who else would like to come forward to pray? Uh, they, they, the Saps, the Steinmans, they all knew they were going to be here. But if you need somebody to pray, after you stick that on, go, go pick somebody. Ladies, if you're like, I just want to pray with a lady, you know, don't be afraid to grab one of the ladies or a guy the same. Um, even you guys, if you don't mind, we are not immune, are we, from loss and pain, okay? I don't know where you guys are, but if you have a lament, maybe, maybe you need to come stick a sticky, I don't know, so don't be afraid. All right, well, Tim and Christy, um, they're going to sing a song to us, and then when they're done, when the worship team comes up, that's when you can feel free to, to come up. Um, Proverbs 18 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. So if you feel moved today, I just want to invite you to, uh, to come up. Let's take this one.